Did you know that the star of Bethlehem once was pretty much instrumental in triggering a war, or at least encouraging on a particular war that had just begun? Now, we know that tensions in the Middle East are not uncommon at all, but the link between a war and a star, the star of Bethlehem, is probably not a story that is just as well known. It all revolved around the theft of the silver star of Bethlehem, and that was brought in to mark the place where people claim, people claim that Jesus was born, and that's inside the Church of the Nativity. And what happened when that silver star was stolen? It contributed to tensions that set off the Crimean War, and that lasted 1853 through to 1856. This particular church was first built back in 313 AD by Constantine, the emperor, and by his mother, St. Helena. Uh, they traveled to the Holy Land, and they were there to have a look around and locate sites in honor of Jesus' life and ministry. And this one, this particular church of the Nativity, was built over a second-century temple that had been built for the Roman god Adonis. For many years, the church of the Nativity has been held by a variety of hands, all at one time. So we have joint care here. The Greek Orthodox are involved, as is the Roman Catholic Church through the Franciscans, as are the Armenian Apostolics. And they all have designated to their care certain parts of this particular church. And that's why whenever you go into this, and I don't really recommend it, it's certainly one of my least favorite sites in all of the Holy Land. But the grotto there where they're claiming Jesus was born contains 15 silver lamps. And that's representing the three groups who were in charge of the church. Six lamps for the Greeks, four for the Catholics, and five for the Armenians. But it was way back in 1717 that this 14-point silver star was installed, and that was over the marble slab that again we are told, and we are totally unconvinced by it, marks the birthplace of Jesus in that grotto. But that star was prized up and stolen in 1847, and people around blamed the Greek Orthodox on that theft. Now, the loss of the star, it enraged the French. They were very active in Palestine at that particular time, and they used it as an excuse to enter the Crimean War, which began in October of 1853. So France goes into the conflict in 1854. It's against Russia. There was the Orthodox nation, and they blamed their people on stealing the star. Now, while the war was fought in the region of Crimea, one of the reasons why they were fighting was for the rights of religious minorities, Christians and Orthodox, to the holy sites that were over in Israel or Palestine. That included the Church of the Nativity. What Russia wanted to do was to defeat the Ottoman Empire, who were in charge of Palestine at the time, take it over themselves. But when France came into the war, Britain joined as well. That turned the war against Russia, meaning the Turks regained control of Palestine. So the Star of Bethlehem, it had been involved in starting and enlarging a war. 
Now, there was conflict in Bethlehem in New Testament times as well. And we remember how when our Lord Jesus Christ was born, the Bible record informs us, Matthew chapter 2, how King Herod decided we're going to make sure we eliminate this imposter and this claimant to my throne. And so he determined that all of those Little boys, two years old and under, living in Bethlehem and its environs should be killed, and that has become known as the slaughter of the innocents. But not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament, we have Bethlehem featuring prominently in certain Old Testament scenes. And we're going to briefly look at three of those situations and scenes tonight. I want to turn the spotlight on them and each time explore the connection in the Old Testament references to Bethlehem, the connection that our Lord Jesus Christ had to all three of these incidents and circumstances. First, we see him appearing under a figure and a picture in Bethlehem as the sufferer. In the Bible, you'll find the city of Bethlehem is often referred to, as it is in Micah 5 and 2 that we've just read, as Bethlehem Ephratam, or also Bethlehem Judah. The first mention in the Bible of Bethlehem is in connection with Rachel, and that's back in Genesis 35, verse 16 through to verse 19. And there we read, And they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a little way to come to Ephraim. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor, and it came to pass. When she was in hard labor, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Now, with that in mind, Rachel, with her dying breath, is saying, Call my son Benoni, meaning son of my sorrow. And right away we have that allusion to the Lord Jesus, who is the man of sorrows, Isaiah 53 and verse 3. We sang tonight in our evening service that wonderful hymn, Man of Sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruin sinners to reclaim, hallelujah, what a Savior. Even more astonishing here is the fact that Jacob, the infant's father, decided, no, we will not call him Benoni, but rather we will call him Benjamin. And that name, Benjamin, means the son of my right hand. And we remember from what we're told in the book of Luke, the chapter 22 and the verse 69, how God the Father determined that Jesus shall sit on the right hand of the power of God. He is properly and ultimately the Son of my right hand. And so in this first visit that we have in Old Testament times to the town of Bethlehem, we have a circumstance, and it suggests this message, out of death comes life. It did in Rachel's death. Her son is born, and it did, of course, with the Lord Jesus who died that we might live. 
and his own resurrection from death to life, the first illustration of hope that he gave to us. Uh, Men, you will rise again from the dead if you're in Christ, because I live, then ye shall live also too. And then another thought, just as we pass on here, Rachel was beloved by Benjamin's father, Jacob. And Jesus is beloved of the church's father and Lord, God Himself. So we have Christ pictured here. First incident in Old Testament Bethlehem, we have Him pictured as the sufferer. But then the second incident brings Him to a different light here, and that light is that of the Savior. Whenever we look into the book of Ruth, and come to the final chapter in the verse 11, there's a very significant statement made there by the elders of the people in Bethlehem. And it's said by them, while they're in the gate of Bethlehem, here's what they said, and all the people that were in the gate, and the elders said, we are witnesses, the Lord make the woman that has come into thine house like Rachel. And like Liam, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thy worthily in Ephratam, and be famous in Bethlehem. Who were they talking about? They were referring to Boaz on this occasion. Boaz lived in Bethlehem, a native of the area. He was, as the book of Ruth reveals, a redeemer and a man of considerable wealth and of great influence. Ruth 2 and verse 1. But, and we heard this in our evening service tonight because our brother Gibson brought these things to our attention. To fulfill the role of a redeemer for Ruth, then Boaz had to be in the first place related, as many believe he was, through Malon, a near relative there. And of course, Christ, the eternal Son had to become man, which he did through that astounding vehicle and miracle of the virgin birth. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, the verse 14 and 15, we are told, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so he is related to us, bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, the incarnate God, and can become our Redeemer on that basis. That Redeemer had to be resourceful as well. There was no such thing as a partial redemption when it came into the role of being a kinsman redeemer. Unless the full price was paid, there was no redemption. So it's an all or nothing proposition. And with Christ, He laid down His life for us until He could declare in victory, it is finished. Because the full price that had been demanded for our iniquity had been paid by Him. That Redeemer had to be related, had to be resourceful, and had to be ready. We know in Boaz's case that he kind of came in second place, because there was another closer to him, uh, closer than him to Ruth, but that man wasn't willing, didn't suit, circumstances weren't right, turned down the opportunity, and so Boaz comes in because he was willing. 
being willing lies right at the heart of what a kinsman redeemer is. Was Jesus willing? Thank God he was. John 10, the verse 18 announces our Lord's language. He says, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. He was willing to go to the cross for you and for me. Sing, oh, sing of my Redeemer. With his blood he ransomed me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. So we have Christ pictured here in these scenes, Old Testament scenes, in the town of Bethlehem. He is our Savior. Not only is there our Savior, He is our sufferer as the man of sorrows. And then we've got a dual role here, coming in the third instance, and that is one of shepherd and also of sovereign. Our shepherd and also our sovereign. And we have a really big connection here to Bethlehem in the Old Testament, coming in the person of David, who also lived in the town of Bethlehem. And David first appears to our view in the Bible as a shepherd, and then he becomes the anointed future king, the sovereign of Israel. And we read about it in 1 Samuel and the chapter 16. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ is murdered or pictured in these dual roles that David occupied. For the Lord, He is our shepherd, and we find that truth announced again and again in Scripture, prominently in John 10, verse 10 to 16, 26 to 29, but also in Hebrews 13, 20 to 21, 1 Peter 2, 25, and we compare that to Matthew 26 and verse 31, Jesus is our shepherd looking after us, tending to all our needs, ministering unto our wants. And not only that, but he is, as David became, from shepherd boy to sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ is our King. And we read that prophecy in Micah tonight, Micah 5 and verse 2, by his birth in Bethlehem, our Lord Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy that Israel's future ruler would emerge from this very place. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratam, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, only one person could fulfill the criteria laid down there, in particular that criterion whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so, gathering these three Old Testament incidents centered on Bethlehem together tonight, who do we find here? But we find the man of sorrows, the sufferer. We find emerging from Bethlehem the one who is our Savior. We find as well the shepherd from Bethlehem and the sovereign as well. And our Lord Jesus is all of those things to us. No wonder Phillips Brooks, congregational preacher, uh, took the message 
and put it into his carol, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Why? Because in Bethlehem that night was born the one who is the sufferer, the Savior, the shepherd, the sovereign, answering all of those beautiful and wonderful and gripping Old Testament pictures of him.